Welcome to episode 96 of the Gambots Podcast. I'm your host, Eric, and this is my co-host. It's Christian. On this week's episode, Christian and I both watched A Bad Mom's Christmas, and I finished the game SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. But first, Christian, you and I both watched A Bad Mom's Christmas, and I gotta say, I went into this expecting to completely hate the movie, even though I'm the one who (laughs) picked it this week, but it just, the reviews for it online were not great, and honestly, this did not seem like a movie I generally would like, but I I was was pleasantly surprised by it. Yeah, I watched this back in, I guess, 2017 when it came out in theaters, and I remember liking it quite a bit then. And uh, I rewatched it this afternoon just to refresh, and I think it held up for the most part. I will, I will say the one thing that I think I liked about it, and maybe this is what I wasn't expecting, is like I went into this expecting this to be a straight comedy, and really, I thought the comedy elements were the weakest part of it. For me, the more interesting stories was about navigating just unhealthy relationships with parents, which I was not expecting to get out of this movie. <laughs> Yeah, each of the moms is really terrible in her own fun and unique way. Yeah, so this was directed by a duo, Scott Moore and John Lucas. I looked at their uh, past works, and it looks like they were mostly writers before they did the Hangover series, Four Christmases, and it looks like they've only directed two movies so far, which is 21 and over, and sorry, two movies before this, before A Bad Mom's Christmas, which was uh, 21 and over and Bad Moms. (laughs) And real quick, this stars Mila Kunis, Kristen Bell, Catherine Hahn, Cheryl Hines, Christine Baron Baranski, and Susan Sarandon. Man, I hated Christine Baranski in this so much. I hated her when I watched it the first time. I hated her maybe more this time. Is that Mila Kunis's mom? Yeah. Okay, so Mila Kunis and Christine Baranski are together. Kristen Bell and Cheryl Hines were together. Mm-hmm. And then Catherine Hahn and Susan Sarandon were mother daughter. Gotcha. Okay, so do you want to do you want to say what the basic premise of this movie was? There's not much of one, to be honest. It, it's just kind of like slice of life. What do these people get into for Christmas? And so it it is like you said. It's largely just about navigating these three women's relationships with their mothers after their mothers all kind of show up on their doorsteps unannounced for the holidays. Right. And we know from the beginning, Mila Kunis fails at hosting Christmas at some point because the opening shot is her in a destroyed house and her saying she ruined Christmas. So it sets the tone (laughs) that we're headed for failure. And one thing I I wanted to ask you, because uh, you seem to get more snow than I do based on your Snapchats. Do you, do you like, Every Christmas movie I've ever watched shows, like, full-on winter wonderland. Do you think it's just the part of the country we are in that I I don't remember ever actually having very much snow around Christmas time? I do, but it hasn't been that way for uh, several years now. Like, I remember growing up, we always had snow on Christmas. It was routine. I remember the one year we went sledding on Thanksgiving. Oh, wow. See, but it has not, it has not been that way for Christmas. Yeah, probably six or seven years now. I don't remember that at all. And I mean, I remember five plus years ago, it was like literally in the 70s on Christmas Day. Because I remember we went for a walk outside and it was like, I cannot believe this is December. (laughs) Sorry, that was just a a side note because I was like, man, like this seems really cool. Because I'm all for snow (laughs) until January. Then I'm like, okay, Christmas is over. I'm done with it. 
<laughs> oh man, exact opposite. I would happily live in the snow year round. <laughs> so I, I'm curious. Do you find Mila Kunis's character, other than the fact that clearly she's a mom and we're both men, <laughs> like we're not, we don't have the same exact <laughs> life as her. But do you find her that relatable? Like I did not on the opening scene when she was like complaining about all the things she has to do for christmas and one of the things was like i have to go to all these christmas parties and like she was eating lobster claws like these were high-end christmas parties (laughs) i i don't know i uh did not relate so much to the like complaining about all of that because that is stuff that i enjoy i like christmas shopping i like buying things for people I genuinely enjoy getting together with people. It bums me out that I can't do that this year. Uh, but I don't know. I it, it might be different when, you know, you've got two kids to take care of and you're, like, perpetually exhausted all the time. Yeah, I, that's, that's a fair point. Maybe it does change, but I don't know. Just something about it. Also, I mean, we'll get into it. I actually question how good of parents all three of these characters are. <laughs> I mean, in the opening scene, the one little girl's talking about her, like, openly just banging uh, her boyfriend. (laughs) And it's just like, you know there are kids, like, next door. I don't know. It's just one of those things where it's just like, are you actually a good parent? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, The only only one that I really thought that was uh, Catherine Hahn, where she just regularly talks about how dumb her son is but then we get a glimpse of him at the end and like well it it was warranted yeah i mean when we get to the scene of them at the food court complaining about their kids i do want to go into each (laughs) why each one of them is a bad parent for saying what they did because literally this movie is just like psychoanalyzing for me being like why would you think that or like how did this happen because there's so many weird inconsistencies Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, the the title is Bad Moms. Yeah. So the parents start just popping into these people's lives with no warning at all, which is crazy that, you know, they don't let them know they're coming to stay for weeks at a time. That frustrates me so much because that's never happened to me. But people do that to my parents. Not like often enough that it's a problem. But I mean, isn't it a problem? No, it is. <laughs> just once. <laughs> oh yeah (laughs) just once like every every so often i'll go over and they're like oh so and so dropped by the other day and i'm like did they tell you they were coming like no and and that's just for like an hour-long visit let alone for like an extended stay Ooh, if somebody just showed up at my door i wouldn't answer it with the advent of texting that should never happen anymore no if somebody it would be comical if somebody i knew and even if like somebody i didn't mind spending time with just showed up at my door unannounced they could we could make direct eye contact i would turn the lights off and go upstairs (laughs) they're not getting into my house turns out they were in a car crash and they're like oh thank god it was near christian's house i can get help and you just abandon you abandon them in your neighborhood with questionable neighbors yeah it's oh god isn't that the truth (laughs) I, i will say also this movie frustrated me because every one of the main characters were in their 30s and other than um Catherine Hahn is yeah Catherine Hahn like I actually think had the most realistic relationship with her mom where like her mom was traditionally <laughs> just kind of a crappy parent the other two women are in their 30s and just are not able to stand up for themselves like they are basically doormats mm-hmm. which is insane 
and it's I I think it's different because it is family. Like in the in the first movie, the uh, big chunks of the plot just revolve around them like standing up for themselves in the community in general, and like Christina Applegate's in this movie for about twenty five seconds because she was the bad guy in the first one. She was like the the mean mom from school mm-hmm. that they all had to team up and, and deal with. And so I think if you've seen the first one, it, it, they don't seem like pushovers so much as this is just a wildly dysfunctional set of relationships that they never learned how to deal with. I guess so. But man, there's I mean, I do want to get into how this movie weirdly normalizes the parents just terrible behavior and is like, mm. you got to just accept it. But some of these things, I feel like you should have reached a breaking point. Like, the first inclination of Kristen Bell's mom being insane is she's <laughs> hides in the room to watch her daughter and her son-in-law have sex. And she gets caught. And it's, like, played as a joke. But, like, if you're thinking about this rationally, that's literally insane. <laughs> yeah, very uncomfortable. And the movie basically just wants to, like... I can totally get not wanting to hurt your parents' feeling, but there's a difference of, like, if you have a kid and you're you're trying to keep sugar from your kids and your parents keep giving them cookies because baking cookies is how they show love or something. Like, I get it. You don't, you don't want to be mean. You don't want to be the Grinch. But if your parent does what Kristen Bell's mom did, that's not, that's not being mean. That is <laughs> setting very clear and societally, like, accepted <laughs> boundaries. <laughs> Uh, I, I had such a, like, oh God, like a primal reaction to Mila Kunis's mother in this, to, to Christine Baranski, that I feel like I give Kristen Bell's mother a little bit of a pass and, and no, it's, it's so, so weird. I think. Like, personality-wise, Bransky is way more of an annoying parent, but I think of the three parents, Kristen Bell's mother has the most unhealthy relationship with her daughter. That's probably fair. Like, Bransky's in her... In, in Mila Kunis, just, they just are butting heads over everything, and she, you know, th- she, th- she thinks she knows best, but I don't know. Like, Kristen Bell's mom, I think, is less annoying but also her behavior is way more troubling like she took her daughter to the prom (laughs) yeah less annoying and and significantly more uh yeah upsetting (laughs) really like red flag (laughs) way more red flags wearing pajamas and and sweatshirts with your daughter's face on them at at, literally at all times yeah yeah so weirdly Catherine hahn who is the most crazy of the characters is (laughs) the most well-adjusted in dealing with parents when she, she literally is just like, you guys should tell your parents not to do that. That's insane. And it's coming from like, one of her lines is literally like, I think my life's messed up till I talk to Kristen Bell. And then I'm like, yeah, I'm doing okay. One of my favorite lines of that movie. Like I'm doing fine. (laughs) Right. And you know, her relationship with her mom isn't great either. Like clearly her mom's using her to some extent, but she's again, traditionally like, what you would expect a bad parent to be of just not being there when it matters. But also, uh, Catherine Hahn's mom's the only one who I think actually has a legitimate redemption arc, whereas Mila Kunis's mom sort of gets a pass, and Kristen Bell's mom sort of makes it up for it, and we can get into that later, but it's just one of those things where it's so frustrating watching some of those scenes. 
Agreed. And also, I think uh, Sharon Stone's arc is... Maybe not arc, but uh, like her personality is bad but it's also very honest right and that that relationship is dysfunctional but it's very honest like they show up they have that nice moment when she gets out of the truck and then like immediately Catherine Hahn's like so you need money right right like her like there's there's no beating around the bush there's no like I mean I mean Susan Sarandon beats around the bush for about half the movie but Catherine Hahn like immediately is like I know what this is I know what you're here for Right, and it's like there's no veneer of love and guilt and all that stuff, which I think makes it worse. Like you're, like you said, they're just she's upfront about being a bad parent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I ideally you're not a bad parent, but right. if you have to be, at least be honest about it. Right. Um. So let's get it. So the one, the only, and so you watch the first Bad Moms. I honestly didn't get too much Bad Moms from this, other than. Uh, the mall scene where they got drunk and did a bunch of stuff. That was definitely, yeah, that was definitely a, like an homage to the first one where it was like, Hey, this is just going to be about chaos for a few minutes. Right. And so in this scene, this is actually where I want to get into me questioning whether these are actually good parents because they're just complaining (laughs) about their kids. So I, we already went over Mila Kunis and how I'm questioning, you know, cause she's doing things in front of her kids. Uh, Catherine Hahn openly is just like, my son got me a bag of Ziplocs one year. I like he's so dumb he can't do anything. But also, then she reveals that for the past seven years she's just regifted him his own gifts. So plausibly, couldn't the kid be like, oh, my mom hates Christmas. Like I'm not putting any effort into it. She just yeah. keeps regifting me stuff. And then Kristen Bell is complaining because she only gets coupon books for like back rubs. But in an earlier scene, she has I think four kids. Two or three of them are under the age of four, and the oldest one is maybe <laughs> eight. Like, what is she expecting? That's on the dad for not, mm-hmm. like, dropping the ball. That's not your kid's fault. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Oh, God. <laughs> See, that just takes me back to the, like, uh, Scholastic. It was, like, the Scholastic Book Fair, but they it was, like, a Santa's workshop where they would bring in a bunch of, like, random knickknacks you could buy at school for your family oh yeah like the, the christmas fair Mm-hmm. man that was great i i could get all my christmas shopping done like a third period yeah. now, now i do it all in the exact same amount of time it's just christmas eve morning <laughs> <laughs> oh man i am i'm curious did you what did you think about the scene of them actually going crazy in the mall i also think that pushes to the point where I wonder if they're actually good moms because they're just causing mayhem, getting drunk, messing with Santa and stealing a Christmas tree in a mall. Like I can't imagine they're setting great examples at home. Yeah, I mean, yeah, you cut loose when your kids aren't there, I guess. I love that scene. I think it's hysterical. They, they go and do shots with like, I don't know who that was like a bed, bath and beyond saleswoman or something. Then they steal a tree from Lady Footlocker. I I was having a lot of fun. I, I think That's this scene's funny, I, but again, I just <laughs> I question if they're good parents. <laughs> yeah, I as part of the reason I think I like this movie is that a lot of the set pieces are just very fun and dynamic. Like the, you go from that into like the Sky Zone dodgeball tournament. Then <laughs> they're they're in that weird like moms only gingerbread building oh yeah my note is workshop. what is this like a woman's club for only building gingerbread like why are they I here don't know what that was and i 
don't know if I noticed it the first time I watched it, but I noticed it this time, and I'm honestly thrilled that the movie never takes any time to explain itself. <laughs> They're just all sitting at a table making gingerbread stuff, and then it's over. Yeah, it, it, I'm not going to lie, Christian. This I probably took more notes in this movie than I have any movie we have watched before, <laughs> which is crazy saw... that it's this movie <laughs> is what I did this for. <laughs> I I got on our spreadsheet and I saw how many notes you had and I was like, oh my god. I was like at a show average 22. I literally have a note and I'm like, I'm 22 minutes in and I am like where I normally am at the end of a movie. As they, they get a lot into this. <laughs> it's just like everything is crazy. <laughs> uh, well, you talked about the dodgeball scene. Going back to Catherine Hahn, also, I think, being a bad mom, she hits her son in the balls <laughs> to win a game. And, and then she uses him as a human shield during dodgeball. Yeah. Also, she's drunk the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I... So, we don't actually see much of Catherine Hahn's kid. I actually think he's the best of the kids. We meet Mila Kunis' kids. <laughs> yeah. I actually think they're kind of crappy kids, too. Well, I I do somewhat agree with you. They side with the grandma a lot, but I honestly think that there is an element of she has been bribing them since she arrived. True. They got, like, she, iPods, iPhones, and all that stuff. But they say one thing where I'm like, either you don't know the full story or you guys <laughs> are brats. At the mm-hmm. end, and I guess correct me if I'm wrong because I just looked this up, but they're like... Mom, I can't believe you made Grandma leave. First you made Dad leave. Now you made Grandma leave. And I looked it up and it says uh, Mila Kunis' husband cheated on her on the first one. Yeah, that's correct. So, like, they're blaming her for that? <laughs> yeah, see, that's that's something that I would imagine that they would just not know. Okay. Like, they would have looked at that and said, like, Mom threw Dad out of the house. Because, I mean, they're they're older than Kristen Stewart's kids are. But I, I still like I, I feel like if I was in that situation, I wouldn't be like your dad cheated on me. Yeah, I, that's what. I, so that's what I, I guess I don't know what was said in the first one. I assumed it was come out. But if they, I get that they're going to feel like complete jerks years later when it comes out. <laughs> yeah, I it's I watched the first one when it was in theaters, which I'm guessing was based on this one, probably 2015 or 2014. So I remember really enjoying it, but I don't remember the the big details like that. Yeah. I am curious because you don't like Bransky. Do you like her husband? Oh my god, yeah. I love Peter Gallagher in almost everything I've seen him in. I I think he's a delight. He like literally he has very few scenes, but like him in the background was great in a couple of the scenes. <laughs> Where they're in the car. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, she she takes them to they're supposed to be going to what, like a, a five hour long Russian opera and Kristen or Mila Kunis is like, no, we're not going to that. We're going to sky zone. Peter Gallagher's in the backseat, like fist pumping. Yeah. I, I really question if he's happy in that relationship. Cause at the end he's like, I love your mom more every day, but he's also like, your mom's a terrible person. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. At a certain point you just got to face reality. I think. Yeah. Man. So of the three characters, I actually think Catherine Hahn's story with her mom and like her love interest works the best, even though, like I said, it's the craziest because it knows it's insane and it just leans into it. Like it narratively mm-hmm. makes sense throughout the movie, whereas Mila Kunis and Kristen Bell, their stories don't necessarily make sense with the bad mom themes of them getting drunk and all that stuff. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I really thought like that third, like Chris, Catherine Hahn's part was like the probably the best parts of this movie. Like the stripper she met while waxing and then going <laughs> to the bar, like I was dying in those scenes. <laughs> the the scene I think I was the most disappointed in was the uh, therapist's office. Oh my gosh, that was a terrible, Wanda Sykes was a terrible therapist. Yeah, and I love Wanda Sykes. I, I had forgotten she was in this. I got super excited when she showed back up. And then they, that scene was so good right up until the end. Yeah, so Kristen Bell finally is like, Mom, we need to go to ther- <laughs> couples therapy. I don't know what kind of therapy that was. <laughs> and there's like a pretty funny scene where the mom's like, I have cancer. And then Kristen Bell breaks out and then she's like, oh, no, I don't have it. This is too far. <laughs> <laughs> that was a, I swear to God, that's a scene right out of the room. Like, there. <laughs> There's a scene in the the movie The Room where the mother says, well, the test came back and it's official. I definitely have breast cancer. And her daughter's like, brushes it off, essentially saying something like, oh, I'm sorry. We were talking about me. (laughs) And then it's never brought up again for the rest of the movie. What? (laughs) The movie's amazing. But yeah, it's it's I definitely have breast cancer and she says something like it's going to be fine. Now we need to talk about my love life and they do and then the mom leaves and it's never brought up again. Oh man. <laughs> in this one you just see Wanda Sykes in the background being like, "Oh, this is a lie." Like this is <laughs> yes. Wanda Sykes all time is like, "Your mom is like clearly being like your mom's crazy. I can't believe she took you to prom like all this stuff." Yeah, and then the the mom freaks out and leaves, and Wanda Sykes blames Kristen, Kristen Bell for it. Which is insane. She's like, your mom went crazy basically because of you. And she, like, starts saying stuff like when she was a baby. And it's like, no, that's not Kristen Bell's fault. Her mom's 70. She has had time to deal with the trauma of being <laughs> a young mother whose husband died. Like, that's terrible. She went through that. But you cannot be blaming Kristen Bell for her mom, like, at, like, completely unacceptable actions into like Kristen Bell's adulthood. <laughs> Absolutely crazy speech that Wanda Sykes gives in that scene. I did I did want to say one of the low-key, I think, funniest moments in this was when uh Cheryl Hines was talking about like her history, like just giving like the cliff notes of her life to the the other grandmas. And she's talking about we lived in Canada and then my husband wanted a faster lifestyle or something right yeah yeah she's like my husband wanted a faster lifestyle so we moved to bismarck north (laughs) i could i don't know if i missed it the first time through but i could not believe they said that line and like nobody calls attention to it they just breeze right through and, and keep going i thought it was so funny that they they're like Canada's so boring that North Dakota's faster. Right. It's just a major shade to Canada. <laughs> uh so they go crisp. And it's not even like I, I think they were they said that they lived in Ottawa, which is the capital. Yes. It's not even like they were so, like in some backwater like northwest territory. Like they were in the capital. They were in a city that was definitely bigger than Bismarck. <laughs> Oh, God, I laughed so hard at that line. I, it, I don't know. It just hit me in the right way, I guess. Yeah, I, I'm wondering. They go caroling in this. And sitting there looking at it, I was like, I always wanted to go caroling, but I've never lived in an area where it does. It looks like fun. Have you gone caroling? We went last year, me and uh, three friends of mine, we just went around to, like, retirement homes in the area. It was, like, a church group that we we joined up with. And it was it was fun. It was a fun way to spend an afternoon. 
I wanted to go again this year, but uh, not to be, I guess. Yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> so the movie culminates with basically all three parents and children coming to a head. Uh, Kristen's Bell's mom, for cash, buys the house next door to her without telling her. Uh, Catherine Hahn's mom just gets five thousand dollars from Catherine Hahn and bails on Christmas Eve, and then uh, Mila Kunis's mom had previously agreed to have like a low key Christmas, but then throws a hundred and eighty four person party inside Mila Kunis's house that is fully catered, including Kenny G <laughs> playing. <laughs> Mila Kunis's parents must be very wealthy to throw that loaded. Like yeah. that's an insane party. Uh, and it, it, you know, culminates in Mila Kunis and her mom fighting, and then her kids saying that Mila Kunis ruined Christmas because she kicked her mom, her the grandma, out of the house, even though Mila Kunis was completely justified in doing so because she had a hundred and eighty person party in her house without <laughs> telling her. Oh my gosh, I don't know, Christian. Like, just how did you? Do you think? They did justice for this because it seems like they, to me, they just hand waved and forgave a lot of the parents' behavior. That is absolutely what happened. So I I went through and I just counted and I have seven notes in my notes that basically just boils down to Christine Baranski is awful. It's just different ways of saying it and different. (laughs) <laughs> different vents but one of them is definitely like if i came home and found out somebody had thrown an enormous holiday party in my house i would not there would be no confrontation i would simply lock the doors and set the building on fire yeah i was i have in my notes they should just call the police because everyone is trespassing on her property yep. but yeah i mean or murder on a large I scale would. <laughs> you gotta do what you gotta do i would be furious i mean there were so many times from from moment one, as soon as she comes in the house and she's like, oh, I didn't know Rite Aid sold decorations, I'd be like, get out. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, like, we're, we're already done. But, yeah, coming to a culmination like that, oh, no. Uh, yeah, there was there would have been no reconciliation. At, at least not, like, that night, for sure. Oh, yeah. I mean, my in my notes, I was like, I've been wanting her to have a Clark or Mila Kunis to have a Clark Griswold moment this entire time and just break. And she finally does. And she kicks her mom out of her life. Stairs in the chainsaw. Yeah. Like her mom is clearly a toxic person. And then her dad talks her into being like, well, your mom's mom hates her. So that's why she's so hard. But she, she's her own worst critic. Like it explains actually, it does not explain any of her behavior in a normal, rational way. No, not at all. The only way I think I could, like, the way this movie should have been is, I think they tried to posit, like, the kids were equally as wrong as the parents to some extent, which wasn't the case. Like, the parents were... literally In literally any of the scenarios. Right, like, the parents were acting completely unacceptable in every one of these storylines. So what should have happened in the traditional sense is the people who do the wrong, the parents, should have come back to make it up to the kids. And I thought that as... I was like, they're not going to. But then when all the moms showed up at the church, like, I was like, okay, maybe they are going in that direction. But then they have Mila Kunitz come and apologize to her mom. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which is insane. Like, her mom was completely in the wrong for what she did. Absolutely a mess, yeah. I, I did think um, l- l- with Kristen Bell's mom, there was a little bit of hand-waving. But, like, she said, I'm going to put the house back on the market and move back to Bismarck. So, like, that that was something that she came to on her own after the confrontation. So, like, that was one of those where, like, this is going to be a process, but we're working on it. Mm-hmm. And 
Susan Sarandon came back after bailing and was like, hey, I got a job. I'm going to pay you back all, all the money that I owe you no matter how long it takes. So that was a great resolution. They didn't even have to have a confrontation for her to come to that. But the, the Mila Kunis-Christine Baranski relationship is a mess. I mean, her mom couldn't even accept the apology in that she did any blame until the other moms chastised her for it. <laughs> And then she gave an apology that was like all of like ninety nine percent of this is your fault, but I'm sorry for the one percent that's my fault. Yeah, it's like a, it was a ridiculous apology. Like Mila Kunis should have just left and be like, "No, I tried. I tried to meet you halfway, and you're not doing it. Like I'm out." Absolutely. At, at least at that point, you can go home and tell Peter Gallagher that that you did your best, but she's like impossible. Right. Like that. I mean, I I feel like. Like you said, I I think uh, Catherine Hahn's mom had like an actual redemption arc, and Kristen Bell's mom to a certain extent, but um, Mila Kunis's mom did not, and they just and she was the focal point of it. They hand waved it, mm-hmm. and then saved Christmas. Like it just was too neatly wrapped up for just the amount of insanity she had just put her daughter through. I did it. That being said, I did enjoy the. Uh... Oh man, we have to go save Christmas. And Christine Bransky stands up and says, "I've been waiting my whole life for this." Yeah, how many? That, like that was a good, that was a good moment. But I no, like I, I I talk a little bit more about this, I guess, when when we get to happiest season, since I watched that this week. And I the movies should end earlier than they do. Like the movie should have ended when Kristen or when Mila Kunis threw Christine Bransky out of the house. <laughs> Like it, it's fine if you want to continue the rest of the stories and have those those other two reconciliations and have the nice Christmas morning scene, but like Christine Baranski is done. Like that story is over now. That's that's something that like if you want to patch up that relationship, it's going to take years. Oh yeah, it's not going to be like and, an immediate thing. Like you you cannot the kicking toxic people out of your life is a good thing. The movie shouldn't like accept apologies from people that don't deserve it just because it makes people feel good about themselves. It just makes people think then like, Oh, if somebody gives me a half hearted apology, then all is forgiven. Again, not even just like those half hearted apology. Every indicator was like the movie was trying to say Mila Kunis was partly in the wrong for it. Like her kid said it, the dad sort of said it by like justifying the mom's behavior. Like it, it was just that, that was the one part where I was like, Oh, you guys did not hit this one. Right. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Uh, but they do make up. All the moms are friend. And my la- friends. And my la- my last question for you. Oh no, no, hold on. Also, <laughs> Mila Kunis's mom never learn or so- never learns her daughter's like boyfriend's name for the whole movie. Who that was? Yeah, that was one of my angry notes. Like, if if, if you want to screw with me, fine. But if you're gonna be like that blatantly disrespectful to my significant other, like we're gonna have. We're going to throw hands. Even after, like, the reconciliation, like, she got his name half right, and that was, like, considered a win. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she thanks she thanks her. She says, thank you for almost learning my boyfriend's name. Yeah, it is ridiculous. But the last last thing I wanted to bring up was Catherine Hahn's, like, love interest is a stripper. How did he find their house? Like, he wasn't in Catherine Hahn's house. They were at Catherine Hahn's friend's house. Well... She asks, and he tells her. What wasn't it just like I knew, <laughs> like it was something <laughs> she, ridiculous? She said, "Yeah." She said, "How did you find me?" And he said, "I looked." Yeah. <laughs> and they just left it at that. 
Another thing for Catherine Hahn that doesn't make sense. How did her mom find a job between midnight and like 9 a.m. on Christmas Day at a trampoline park? Like, were they having a Christmas Eve midnight madness where she got that job? That'd be amazing. Because they drug tested her in this yeah, time frame. That's right. I don't know how I passed the drug test. Oh, man. <laughs> I just love when uh, that stripper came in. Christmas miracle. Right, like when that stripper came in, Catherine Hahn's son's just like, oh, hey, man, nice to meet you. Like, <laughs> super easy going. <laughs> it's my son right there. Hey, man. Uh, yeah, like, he, he was one of... He was one of the MVPs in this, just for that scene alone. Yeah, I, I mean, I thought he was funny. He was given a raw deal there. Uh, <laughs> with, with that, but... Before we go into... Um, budget and ratings and stuff i just want to point out that i look i look through this there is a bad mom's mom sequel (laughs) starring the three mothers in this which is insane to me and there's also supposed to be a bad dad's movie like they're really uh turning this into a bad mom's uh extended yeah universe well yeah we'll have to have bad mom's end game (laughs) right all the all the moms fight so <laughs> that, that's not what I was picturing, but that would be just as amazing. Just a battle royale. <laughs> oh, is there anything you uh, that I we did not touch on that you want to talk about before we move on to the budget? I don't think so. So, do you know how this did uh, at the box office? Yeah, so it it made one hundred thirty point six million dollars. Uh, its budget was only twenty eight million, so it, it made a lot of its money back. Th- that doesn't surprise me, honestly. Like working at the theater for as long as I have, this is one of those movies that just brings people in by the bucket load. Like this is one of those movies that was going to be in our biggest room for several weeks. Well, I, I looked this up. This actually, this, and this surprised me. This was released like two days before Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> <laughs> it's it was the second highest grossing movie that weekend with i want to say like 21 million but yeah it was going up against a giant when it came out still did pretty well that's one of those things that though like i feel like that's a safe bet because those two demographics don't necessarily overlap that much yeah and they're completely different movies <laughs> yeah uh someone say this is better but not me <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so critic wise this has a 32% on Rotten Tomatoes uh, with the critics and the audience score of 44% I would side more with the audience on this one like like I said before like I didn't hate this movie like I think it's it had its parts that were funny like it, it was a fine movie yeah I'd probably put this a little higher than 44 maybe high 50s I, I did really enjoy this I was I went along for the ride so would you recommend this to our audience I would, yeah. I'd, I'd probably recommend both of them. I was I was having a hard time on this because I was like, I think I'm going to recommend this. Like, it was funny. It's an easy movie to jump into. Like, you don't have to pay a ton of attention. And then I was thinking, am I really going to recommend this over Devil all the time, <laughs> which is objectively just a better movie? <laughs> and the only way I can justify it is this feels like, even though like I weirdly got into the toxic relationships and started analyzing them, like, I think this is more like a junk food movie, right? Like, you don't have to pay attention. Mm-hmm. Like, you, like Devil All the Time is, like, kind of draining. to Like, it took energy to watch somehow, right? Like, because so much bad stuff's happening. Like, this isn't like that. Yes. So, 
that's like my justification as to why I'm picking this over a movie that is definitely better, but I, I would recommend this one. Yes, it's, it's, I mean, whether there's a debate to be had about whether or not it should be, but this is a feel good movie at, at the end of the day. Right. <laughs> Okay, and next, I recently platinumed Spongebob Battle for Bikini Bottom Rehydrated. Now, this is actually a remaster of a PlayStation 2 era Spongebob game called Spongebob Battle for Bikini Bottom. It was on all the major consoles at the time, uh, GameCube, Xbox, PS2. Uh, And the only reason I know about this game is in the past five or six years, like this has become a cult phenomena in the speedrunning hmm. community i don't know if you pay attention to that at all or not christian but no because it one it's like yeah i started reading articles where it's like this game this spongebob like licensed game is weirdly one of the hottest speedrunning games right now which i could not believe i think it has to do with people who are speedrunning it probably played it when there's children so there has to be some sort of nostalgia factor to it as to why mm. this of all games and there are some glitches you could exploit so like you could speedrun it pretty well Uh, So it officially got a remaster, which is crazy to think because this game originally was released (laughs) in, I think, 2003. And it's a SpongeBob license game. (laughs) Like normally when you see remasters, it's like beloved franchises like Devil May Cry Mm -hmm. or Final Fantasy. (laughs) SpongeBob Battle for Bikini Bottom is generally not on the top of the list. So you, you know what game I would love to get a remaster? What's that? Along the lines of games that absolutely don't deserve them. Uh, I went to Walmart one night in the middle of the night and they had an entire bin of the same game for like 99 cents. And it was a PlayStation 2 game called Sneak King, where you played as the Burger King King. Yeah, You had to sneak up on people and surprise them with food. That was, uh, man... That I remember that definitely being on the 360 because that was a tie-in. Like you could get it with the when you got a Big Mac or something. <laughs> People loved that game. I yeah, they had like 200 of them in, in a bin at Walmart one night, and I was like, "Well, I guess I got to try this, dude." We couldn't beat the first level. <laughs> oh man, yeah. Of games that need remasters, I just want to point out that SpongeBob Be- Battle for Bikini Bottom. Got a remaster and was released before a remaster of Tony Hawk's Pro Skater 1 and 2. Absolutely incredible. I think it beat it by two or three months. <laughs> <laughs> That's something I still need to download. Yeah, it's, I mean, that, that one does look good. But okay, so this was developed by Purple Amp Studios. I looked them up. They don't have a lot uh, to their studio's name. It looks like they did some ports to PC. And it was published by THQ Nordic. It was released back in June uh, of this year. So it's a relatively new game, only six months old. So I want to break this down into story, gameplay, and graphics. Um, Just to give a quick recap. The basic story, this is Plankton creates robots to steal the Krabby Patty formula. Uh, he forgets to put them under his control, so they start running amok in Bikini Bottom, so he recruits SpongeBob to help him, you know, break into the chum bucket and stop the robots. So the entire game is SpongeBob going around to get golden spatulas, or it's it's basically like a Spyro game. You're collecting stuff to get into the chum bucket and stop the robots. Nothing, you know, to write home about, but I will say I think the game 
hits their jokes pretty well. Like it feels like you're actually watching a SpongeBob cartoon when you get to get to the dialogue and stuff. Like it, it is well done and it's pretty funny. So I, I do want to give the game credit for that. Um, so I mean, if if, if Plankton is not, I, I just always assume Plankton is the antagonist. If if Plankton's not the bad guy in this, like who who are the bosses you're up against? So Plankton is the ba- like the obvious like. He's using SpongeBob, so he's the bad guy. But the robots are also like more so the bad guys. Uh, and there's robot versions of Plankton. There's a robot version of Sandy the Squirrel. Robot version of Patrick Star and robot version of hmm. SpongeBob, who are the bosses. And then there's just a bunch of variety of normal kind of robots going around that you have <laughs> to kill that aren't based on any pre-existing characters. And and I will say this game was released in 2003 and that wasn't quite the peak SpongeBob time in my opinion. I think like the first two seasons of SpongeBob were probably the best, but this was before it started kind of going downhill. So really like the story, the dialogue, the and the gags are generally generally funny. Like they they do hit their mark. Next is like the graphics. It's hard to tell because I didn't play the original game. This looks like a 3 like the 3D SpongeBob movies I've seen commercials for. So it's hard for me to justify if it's good or not that way, but it, it was fine. Like I said, like this is a very competently put together game. Um, mm-hmm. And what I think really hurts the game is that it just, it feels dated. And that's when we get into like the gameplay portion of it. This feels like a mediocre platformer from 2003. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess you can't fix the, uh, like the baseline playability right and that's what's hard to like judge this on because it's a remaster so they aren't going to go in and fix up everything but also it's just an okay game because they didn't fix up a lot of the things that had issues like playing the re remaster of spyro like the reignite trilogy that was amazing like they rebuilt that from the ground up so it felt like you imagined what spyro used to feel like mm-hmm. this 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 one very much still felt janky like the the biggest problem is all the characters have double jumps, but it's I won't ever say the game was hard because it's meant for children, but it was, sometimes was challenging <laughs> to judge how far you could actually jump. Some of the mechanics were just random. Like it lo- it would look like a place you could go to and it'd be considered out of bounds, and then it would take like thirty seconds to reload the level. Where it's like they should clearly like delineate that this is a boundary more because it just looks like I'm going into another field, and it's like oh no, you can't go there. Or, like, this looks like sand. It's like, oh, no, that's actually water. That doesn't count. Like, it wasn't really good with that. And, when you know, when it came out in 2003, it makes sense. But when you're in 2020, you're expecting a little bit more from your 3D platformer collect-a-thons. Mm-hmm. Um, other things that were cool in this, though, you, like, you get to explore Bikini Bottom, which is which is neat. And the first half of the game is definitely better than the second half because they have all the locales you're familiar with, like... You explore SpongeBob's house, Squidward's house, the Krusty Krab, Jellyfish Fields, Downtown uh, Bikini Bottom, like all those places, the Mermelair. And then towards the end, it's like, oh, I'm exploring the Flying Dutchman's graveyard like area and <laughs> a dream level. Like it, it, it's it's definitely like the early parts better than the latter part, but they're all fine. Like primarily, you're just collecting stuff. The game's never particularly hard. Uh, you get to play as Sandy, Patrick, or SpongeBob, and they all have like a little bit of a special ability. Like SpongeBob blows bubbles that are bombs or bowling balls or whatever that can help him damage enemies. Patrick can 
throw stuff and Sandy has a lasso that allows her to like grab people from a distance or glide. So they do use everyone's ability pretty well for you to collect everything in the game. You're trying to collect socks and golden spatulas and I forget what they call them, but it's basically a currency like money that's all around. And and it's all done competently. That's that's all I can say about it is like this is a competently put together game. You said it it feels like they're hitting the mark with with like an actual episode of SpongeBob. Are the voice actors all still the same? Yeah, actually, that's what makes this game so good is every voice actor is the same because they made this when you know they still had all of them except for Mister Krabs and Mermaid Man. <laughs> <laughs> and Mr. Krabs is somewhat prominent in the game, so it's very jarring when you don't have his voice. And it's like oh, just a random one, but and then you have everyone else's voice. And so like most of the game is really well done voice acting wise, and then every once in a while it's just like, oh what? <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, yeah, that's that's all I have to really say about it. like I think at the end of the day, if I had to rate this, I'd say I'd say it's like a C level game. Like it's media it's it's okay. Like it's a fine game. I'm happy I played through it, but it's not one that I would recommend unless you are a huge fan of it, you know, back in 2003 or you're like <laughs> speed running it because otherwise like there are much better 3d character platformers out there. Yeah. I just, I think that's interesting how these random games kind of get like a cult following way after the fact. Yeah. I, and I, I give all the credit in the world to either THQ or Purple Lamp Studios. I don't know who gave the go ahead to do it. Like there is a demand for it. I think this game sold pretty well. Um, I, it was big on YouTube when it came out because people couldn't believe they got it. They were in contact with the speedrunning community, which really was the driving force of people still playing that game. And <laughs> it, it really was made for those fans. So you know, if you're a fan of the original game, I'm sure you're going to like this one. It's just one of those if you're coming in blind like I was who have who has no nostalgia for the game itself, but just like SpongeBob, it's you know, it's it's fine. Mm-hmm. Okay, Christian, last week I talked about Happiest Season and you actually watched it this week, so I'm curious uh if you liked it or not. Yeah, we finally uh, we finally got around to it. I did like it quite a bit. Uh, it's it's a weird movie for me because I did genuinely enjoy it while simultaneously hating the vast majority of the characters and really not liking the ending at all. Yeah, well, I saw like you Snapchatted about it and you're like, I hate everyone but these two people, and I was like, Oh, Christian is not having a good time with this movie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, it's. Like I said earlier, I feel about this this very similar as I feel about Bad Mom's Christmas. Like whether or not it should be, it is a feel good movie. Like you, you know, if if you're not really paying that close attention, you'll you'll leave thinking like, oh man, what a good what a good happy film. But I did not. <laughs> I I wanted Kristen Stewart and Aubrey Plaza to get together and forget all about Mackenzie Davis and her whole terrible family. Yeah, well, that's what I gotta say is like when you're we're kind of uh, texting about it. I was like, yeah, I don't know actually if I like is Mackenzie Davis, Kristen Stewart's girlfriend in it. Yeah, yeah, like as like I don't know if I actually like her as a person. Like she seems like Kristen Stewart deserved better, but also agreed. You know, I don't know like how much leeway does she get for being afraid to come out to her family. That's like where I was kind of on the fence about it because I don't know. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so I. 
I had a lot of points in this where I kept saying, no, go home, pack your bags, <laughs> go back home. And the first time was on the car ride up when she's like, so my parents don't know I'm out. And like, okay, I, I understand there's a, like a really uncomfortable social dynamic there. It's it's not that she wasn't out that bothered me. It was that she lied to Kristen Stewart about it for like a year. Oh, and also like you're taking your girlfriend to a place and it's not like she gave her the heads up before to have her give an informed no. decision. She basically held her hostage once she was there. <laughs> Correct. And and so, like, that was definitely one with the, like, no, you, you got to get the hell up out of here. But at the end, when they have their confrontation and, like, it comes out that Mackenzie Davis is gay. And then she, like, screams that that's a lie. And I was like, nope, there's no coming back from that. Yeah, yeah. But there was coming back from that, Eric. It, she came back from it. Did you like, I'm curious, did you like Dan Levy? Easily the best character in the movie. He's hilarious in this. When he's on the phone with her and he's like, so I really like this fish. If I wanted to get one for myself, where would I get it? And he's like throwing the dead one away. Yeah, I thought he's he's great in this. He's, I, he makes me kind of want to watch Schitt's Creek, even though I could never really get into it when I tried. I just finished season one this afternoon. You a fan? Uh, so far, so good. It took it took a couple false starts because I kept getting distracted by other things, but I, I, I'd like to roll through it now. I think my biggest problem, and I don't know if he's part of it the whole time or not, is the mayor in that. I just oh, cannot oh, stand I, him. I hate Chris Elliott in everything that I've seen him in. I was so disappointed when I turned on Schitt's Creek and he was in, in that I was really bummed out. Yeah, I like I watched two or three episodes and I was like, this guy is so annoying. He's ruining the show for me. <laughs> well, we we put on Happiest Season and my buddy Zach, who I, I love dearly, but the boy is uh, missing a couple bulbs on his Christmas tree. And he goes, that guy looks like a younger version of the guy from American Pie. And we were like, Eugene Levy? And he's like, I don't know people's names. And I showed him a picture, and he's like, yeah. And I'm like, oh boy, do I have news for you? (laughs) Oh, man. (sighs) I I will agree with you, though. I think Aubrey Plaza was good in it. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, my God. Yeah. I was really hoping. And and I mean, I knew. I'm I'm on Twitter basically every minute of the day. And so I, I knew how it ended already, but... I wanted so badly for them to be like, all right, we both dated Mackenzie Davis. We both agree that she was a little bit terrible. Let's just run away together. <laughs> right. Oh, man. Just thinking about it. Some some of those scenes, like, they had the entire subplot of Mackenzie Davis's boyfriend trying to get back with her, and they never, like, really tie that up. Nope. Just kind of leave it hanging out there when she's like, I'm not a lesbian. And then is like, is everyone leaving the party, like, Oh yeah, she's definitely a lesbian, and they're like, "Wow, that's a weird family part like fight there." <laughs> the I I did uh, of of all that family, I did really like the youngest sister, Jane. She was very fun. She was a lot to begin with, but then she grew on me pretty quickly throughout the movie. I feel like she was the only character. Well, all the characters are somewhat justified because love was turned into kind of a weapon, and she was like just mm-hmm. ignored. But I thought she was like the best of the sisters. <laughs> Yeah, easily. I did genuinely like, though, in, in the aftermath of the fight where uh, she was like, yes, I'm gay. Yes, I'm getting a divorce. And Jane was like, and I'm an ally. <laughs> yeah. 
I also liked when the parents were talking to like, the only child we have who's well-adjusted is somehow Jane, and that's because we gave up on her in third grade. <laughs> she kept biting people. <laughs> oh, man. I also... I, I, I love all the actors and actresses in this movie. It's just they all play terrible characters. Yeah. I also like that Jane was like, they're kind of making fun of her for her book, and she's like, you know, character building takes a while but once you do it's worth it and then like the next year <laughs> she's like a best-selling author with dan levy i wanted uh i wanted her book to just be like about that christmas no oh, yeah and she was like oh i got the inspiration i'm gonna write about my crazy family when she made that present i was like oh this is going to be an insane present and then it was like actually heartfelt and then when they broke it i felt legitimately bad for her <laughs> i know so did I. Also, the one lady's like, what is this? And it's like, it's clearly a painting of a town. Like, there's no, <laughs> like, other interpretation of this. Oh, my God. Yeah, that was... Mm. Oh, man. You know, that, that, that would have been a party where they had lobster Santa hats, for sure. Oh, yeah. And didn't, <laughs> Mila Kunis would have been in the background like, oh, lobsters <laughs> again. <laughs> I can't believe I had to come to this fundraiser for the mayor of Zelianopo. <laughs> Did you did you pick up on what town he was running for mayor of? No, I I was trying to pay attention, but they never say. Uh, I was like wondering on a closer account if you could if you deciphered <laughs> it. All right, guys, thanks for tuning into the episode. If you'd like to reach us, we are at Gambots Network on Twitter, or you can email us at gambots.blog at gmail.com. Otherwise, we have a website now, gambotsnetwork.com, where we have some reviews up for things we did not actually talk about on the show or things we did talk about on the show but we wanted to go in a little more depth on. If you are listening somewhere where you can rate and subscribe, we'd appreciate it, as that does help us with advertising. Otherwise, thanks for listening, guys. Thank you. Thank you.